Today on Security Science, why vulnerability scores can't be looked at in a vacuum. Hello, and thank you for joining us. I'm Dan Mellinger, and sometimes a number is just a number. Context, the information and environment around that number is what really matters. This concept holds especially true in vulnerability management and risk scoring. So with me to discuss today is the answer of every vulnerability score question ever and the high priest of risk-based vulnerability management, Ed Bellis. All hail the high priest Bellis. How's it going, Ed? It's going wonderful. Thank you for having me yet again, Dan. Always a surprise what your title is going to end up being. <laughs> Uh, um, for those following along at home, uh, this is might be a quick podcast, but we're basically um, basing this off a blog that itself was based off of a tweet thread from Ed. So I will link both of those <laughs> in the show notes on KennaResearch.com. So ultimately, Ed, we get this question um, primarily like from customers, but every time a new CV hits the news and it's why is this Voln scored a blank out of whatever. So um, real quick, Kenna here, our risk scores in and of themselves are ranked out of a hundred point scale. So just to orient everyone real quick um, while we're doing this discussion, Ed, can you explain just at a high level how uh, risk is scored by us? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, and, and probably one of the important points is that it is a risk score and I'm sure we'll get into that later. Effectively, what we're talking about, and we have a couple of different risk scores that we look at, but this is very specific to a vulnerability risk score. And really, the vulnerability risk score is highly oriented around the likelihood of exploitation of that vulnerability. Yep. Um, so we look at a number of different factors about it, including things like, are there any sort of weaponized POCs or even point, click and shoot exploits uh, for a given vulnerability? Are we actually seeing exploitations in the wild for it? What's the volume and velocity of those things? Uh, do we see malware associated with it? How popular of a target is this vulnerability? What software does it affect? What operating systems does it affect? All of these different things that ultimately boil into that zero to 100 score that you talked about, which is to say, we think this is very likely or less likely to be exploited. Awesome. And that makes a lot of sense, right? The distinction between severity and risk, right? So severity is how bad could this be, right? And uh, a big factor, like you're saying, with risk is how likely is that even to happen, right? Like, so um, I like to think about it like I'm flying an airplane, right? Like the severity of an airplane going down would be really catastrophic, right? That's right. Um, the overall risk is very, very low, right? I think less than being attacked by a shark or, I don't know, struck by lightning or whatever, right? Depends Even on like, what you're doing. Uh, depends yeah, on the yeah. airplane too. <laughs> exactly, yeah, that's that's a, that's a good point. And, and, and to be clear, right, when we're talking about this vulnerability risk score, we are talking about likelihood. Now, how we look at that broadly and how it affects assets or groups of assets and things like that, we do look at other things for the broader risk score, but specifically yep. for this conversation that, uh, to your point, that started as a tweet that turned into a blog post that is now a podcast. Uh, <laughs> it's all about the vulnerability risk score is what we're talking about here. That escalated quickly is what you're saying. <laughs> uh, well, here, I, I mean, 
let's go to the story of this tweet thread that you put out there, right? We're looking at a vulnerability. Um, what it came out, I believe, in the February patch Tuesday, right? It was the Microsoft Defender bug, um, CVE 2021-1647. Yeah. 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 So, and, 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 and to be fair, it has, it, that was just one of many examples, right? So your preamble to all of this is we get these questions all the time, which is why is this Vuln scored so high or why is this Vuln scored so low? And usually followed up by, I just looked at it in CVSS. I just looked at it in my scanner score. I just looked at it in somewhere else. Uh, which could have been a severity score, could have been a ri another risk score, but they're comparing that score to the, the vulnerability risk score that we're talking about here and asking questions as to why so high or why so low. Yeah. Uh, in this case, uh, a lot of the questions came around is why so low, uh, which at the time, I think we were scoring that vulnerability a, a 51 on a zero to 100 scale. Right. And so when people think about, you know, 51 out of 100, I know I jump straight to this like that's 50 percent. I would be failing if I had this score in a class. Right. Explain to us why. Why doesn't that make sense here? Right. Yeah. Or it's a medium. Right. Because it's right in the middle of right in the middle. Zero right? to 100. Except, we think in bell curves. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Except this isn't a bell curve and and vulnerability risk is certainly not a bell curve. Right. If you're to talk to Michael Reitman, I'm sure he would uh, give us all a big long lecture about power laws and how things are distributed uh, within security. Funny, we just did a podcast on that oh, topic. Oh, look at that. Weird. I'll be your anyway. setup guy. But, but the <laughs> point is, is and, and what I kind of entitled uh, my my rant, if, if nothing else, on, on Twitter was that distribution rules everything around me. And distribution here matters quite a bit because when I'm comparing when I have a, a risk scoring system or a severity scoring system or whatever it is, and I'm using that scoring system to prioritize my remediation efforts, it's not whether it's a 51 or an 81 or a 21 or a 100. Um, it's how many vulnerabilities should I remediate before this one? And how many and, and, you know, how important is it compared to everything else that I have to do? Because I'm going to do this in a, a kind of a prescribed ranked order, if you will. The priority. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. So and in this specific case, so, you know, to spoiler alert, uh, if you look at the distribution of the kind of risk scoring system, a score of, you know, the majority of that is shifted below that. In other words, we think most vulnerabilities don't actually pose that great of a risk or that are, are that likely to be exploited because the data says so. But when you're looking at uh, the the overall distribution of the Kenna scoring system, right? There's there's probably a, a large majority of them are kind of in that tw 25 to 35 or so time uh, scoring range. range, and roughly less than five percent. I think about four and a half percent of all vulnerabilities are scored higher than a 51. So when I'm looking at that in terms of how do I compare in terms of priorities and what do I fix first? It's actually pretty important. It's it's more important than 95% of the vulnerabilities that are out there. That's really interesting. And I do want to give Sasha Romanowski a quick uh, shout out because I don't even think you got through your tweet thread before he asked the setup question, right? And we none of this is planned, by the way. And Sasha, like we have a cool relationship with him. I well, He helped create CVSS, right? Dude's That's super right. smart. And his question was 51 out of 100 on what scale? Yes. <laughs> so, Sasha, you're always on it. 
like yeah. way too fast. And to his point, right, the, uh, the other thing was is so you're looking at that versus CVSS, but CVSS is a severity score, not a risk score. And that, you know, just as we talked about, severity and risk are not the same. Now, all that said, if I was to use the CVSS as my rank order, if you will, for remediation, well, where does that same vulnerability sit uh, on the CVSS scale, right? So first of all, CVSS is, is zero to 10, but they do use decimals, right? So it's yep. a pretty easy conversion. If it's a 7.2, you can think of it as a 72 on a 100 point scale. Yep. And in this particular case, I'm pulling my notes. I think that CVSS score for that uh, was roughly, you know, it was right around there, right? 7.2, 7.3 for a V2. And I think the V3 score was just under eight, if I yeah, recall. Yeah, like 7.9, right. something like that. But if you looked at it and said, oh, well, you know, if I'm going to compare a 7.2 to a 51 or a 72 to a 51, 72 is higher than 51. Therefore, 72 is more important, right? The CVSS thinks that this is a, a riskier or at least a more important volume to fix than the Kenner risk score. But if you look at the distribution of both CVSS2 and CVSS3, they are both shifted very much to the right or the higher end of the scale. In other words, what they're saying is, Almost all vulnerabilities, certainly most vulnerabilities, are important. In fact, if you sliced out exactly where this falls on the uh, CVSS V2 or even the V3 score, they say that roughly 30% of all vulnerabilities score higher than this one. So yep. again, if you're if you're just looking at things in a vacuum and and trying to compare these apples and oranges together then you're you're, you're going to come away with something that's that's wrong because you're not looking at the full distribution of the score. So there's a delta, there's a difference between CVSS V2 and V3. One thing that I really appreciate on the CVSS V3 kind of like front guide, right, of what changed and all that, they call out, right? Note, CVSS V3 doesn't measure risk. We measure severity, right? Yep. And if you look at the distribution for V2, there's some that kind of rank in at that, you know, CVSS 2, yeah. <laughs> 2 out of 10, yeah. right? Um, but almost all of it is four and a half, five plus. And then if you look at V3, it's even more pronounced, right? Almost That's all, right. nothing is scored less than a three in CVSS right. V3. Everything is right around four and a half plus from a distribution, which I think that that represents severity, right? Like I think you'd be hard pressed to find any security practitioner that says, hey, this vulnerability has almost no theoretical impact, right? It yep. can be dangerous. That's why it's listed in the MITRE's list. Um, and CVSS reflects that because it's severity, which means kind of the, the technical impact that it could have, right? Right, exactly. And I, I mean, just looking at the CVSS V3 distribution, right, to your point, almost not quite 90 percent, it looks like, of all CVEs are CVSS 5 and above, right? So yep. effectively, if you're looking at it in that bubble again, that, or that vacuum, then you would say, well, well, everything is important then, right? Because or everything is a medium or a high. There is no yeah. such thing as a low. Mm -hmm. if, if you're just looking at it from a pure zero to 10 number scoring system. Which makes sense. And then, uh, you know, harking back to the power law distribution with Michael, right? With the Kenna is a risk score, right? We're looking not only at kind of the, the severity, right? This is bad. 
remote code executions or vulnerabilities are technically not good things most of the time, right? Um, but you're also looking at the the odds or the chances and the activity that's going on around that. And so when we look at the distribution, you know, like you said, 25 to 35 out of 100 is the majority of vulnerabilities, right? Because for the most part, we know from some of the work with Scientia that what, less than 5% of vulnerabilities are actively used overall, right? Um, right, yeah, or at least exploited in the wild, right? And then, you know, you, you might you'd certainly uh, expand that a bit if you're just looking at things where exploits are available either through, you know, p- proof of concepts or weaponized in some sort of way. Yeah, and that creates this very, very long tail of things that is very, very risky, but ultimately lower percentage of things you need to worry about. Absolutely. So, you know, to, to liken it back to all of those attributes that we talked about earlier that go into that probability score of, of, of exploitation, right, which is what we've been talking about, the actual exploited in the wild, right, which is kind of a baseline. Okay, yes, the answer is it, it already is. And then all of the things that proceed up to that point, right? So weaponized exploits are obviously one of the indicators that are highly indicative of ultimately we will see exploits in the wild for this, which we cover in a lot of the P2P reports. Prior to that, you might look and say, well, what about the prevalence of that vulnerability across, you know, enterprises? How, How many enterprises actually have this vulnerability? That tends to be an indicator. Are there other forms of weaponization like malware? So all those pieces that we talked about earlier are ultimately indicators that build up to an actual exploitation event, which gives us that kind of probability risk score. Gotcha. So distributions are really, really important, ultimately. I think they rule everything around me, Dan. (laughs) I'm going to see if I can link uh, Cream, because that is an amazing (laughs) song. Uh, But I mean, it also reflects kind of the realities of patching and remediating and responding to threats as well, right? Like most organizations have a limited pool of resources that they can use to throw at these things as well, right? So that makes the prioritization kind of one of the most critical factors, right? Yeah, no, absolutely, right? I I don't want to, uh, ultimately, if I've got a limited number of resources and things that I can focus on my time and attention, I want to make sure that the things that I am focused on are things that are ultimately you know, I have a high likelihood of being exploited, right? So if, if something is just not going to happen, let's focus on the stuff that that not only could happen, but are probable to happen. Well, yeah. And don't, I th- what do we have that one uh, remediation capacity, right? We looked at with Scientia. Mm-hmm. So roughly on average, regardless of the size of the enterprise or whatnot, um, they can handle roughly one out of every 10 new vulnerabilities, high-risk vulnerabilities that are introduced in their environments every single month, right? Yeah, and, and that's, you know, the high risk, right? So, and, and, the, and, the, and the definition there for the P2P reports was any vulnerability that had either uh, an exploit, uh, weaponized exploit associated with it or that we saw exploitations in the wild for, they were still on average fixing one in 10. Now, the top performers we saw were anywhere in the 20 to 25 percent range, but still, that means the majority of them, they're not able to handle to at least in that 30 day time frame, which we've also found is a pretty critical time frame, uh, according to some of the other P2P reports. Now, that makes perfect sense. And that would also speak to, right, in this case, in vulnerability CVE 2021-1647, right? It's in the top 5%, 4.62% of overall risk, right? So if you've got the capacity to take out, you know, 10%, 
this should be in that first <laughs> first yeah. wave of things you're addressing that month, right? It's a great point. If you combine the data sets together and you start to say, okay, so this is fitting in that top four or five percent, and on average, an organization can fix, you know, roughly ten percent of their security debt in a 30 day time frame, what we're saying is this is well within your range and something that you should take care of, right? In those first 30 days. Makes perfect sense. And then I just wanted to go through and kind of close things out because I, I like the scarcity of the Kenneth score. So it's always fun to kind of pick out those top ones. So uh, at the end of the year, we looked at the top 100 out of 100, right? So the mm -hmm. worst of the worst. And that was a list of 203 vulnerabilities in the last decade, right? So out of the... the out of the how many were the total on CVEs were there? Uh, like over 100,000, I think, through that time yeah, period, yeah. right? Yeah, I think so, we had in, in all of NVD, you know, a little over 150,000, of which the vast majority of those were certainly in the last 10 years. Exactly, right? Yeah. Um, and I forget that number offhand, but... 100 out of 100 ranked was 203 in a decade, right? That's yeah. crazy to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I actually did a couple, a little more math. Uh, we, ex we actually did a blog on this one, which I'll link as well, but it was kind of the top eight kind of high risk capabilities, I guess you could say, of a CVE that makes it kind of pretty risky. Topping out that list at number one is remote code execution. So no surprise there. If someone could go take advantage of something externally, that really lowers the barrier of entry. Uh, number two on that list was actually memory corruption. So I'm, mm. I don't know. I, I'd love to get your feedback on this. Ed. Do you know why that is? Because I am not that technical. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's uh, obviously these that that's kind of the category of the vulnerability, I, you know, but there's there's plenty of those that I would also say, you know, I, there's plenty of examples I could say where, you know, you're looking at things that ultimately feed the severity as well. Right. Yep. So when you look at CVSS, it's very much based on these types of categories amongst exactly. other things. You know, is it local access? Is it network access? Does it yep. require authentication? All of that sort of thing. Um, and then is it an RCE? Is it information disclosure? But then, you know, you could also say, oh, well, Heartbleed was information disclosure. So and typically information disclosure is looked at as something that oh, that's not that bad. It's not, not that remote bad. code. As you're not executing code on my machine and, and you're not grabbing, you're not getting root and all of these types of things. Yep. No. But in, in the case of Heartbleed is an example that information disclosure happened to be the information that you were trying to protect in the first place, right, through SSL or gotcha. TLS. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> while I wouldn't make too much into those other than, you know, they're, they are there for a reason and the, they do affect severity and ultimately, you know, severity should be baked into your risk, it, but it isn't risk to Sasha's point, right? That's a good point. And I would also note that just reminded me when we were looking at this that a lot of these were combined, right? Uh, so a lot of the CVEs mm -hmm. actually had multiple of these features, quote unquote, right? So right. Uh, RCE plus memory corruption allowed you basically to, you know, push arbitrary code to a system that wasn't supposed to have it in the first place, right? Um, or it was RCE mixed with a denial of service, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you just yeah. crash it out and then you get control type thing, right? 
And to be fair, I mean, even when we're measuring risk and we're looking at things and we do some NLP in terms of looking at the language uh, around the description of the vulnerabilities and, uh, uh, you know, scraping things like all of the references associated with that vulnerability to see what they're saying about it. And a lot of that ends up in there, right? So you end up gleaning things like, oh, this appears to be a remote code execution vulnerability and, and that could push things up or down as well. But yep. you end up building this model that, to your point, it has a lot of different features and those features affect it in different ways. Absolutely. Well, and one thing I found that uh, it's not surprising, but interesting that there's not a ton of these because it's generally frowned upon, but uh, vendors coding backdoors or hard-coded passwords into systems that are identified, they don't happen very often, but when they do, they tend to be really, really bad. <laughs> So yeah, winds comes to mind. I don't yeah, remember what happened there. Yeah. Strange, right? It's <laughs> yeah. kind of interesting. Anyway, um, Ed, thanks so much. I, I think this is a good primer on you know how to think about distributions and context around stuff, um, especially when it comes to trying to judge vulnerabilities and their inherent risk. Any uh, advice you'd give before we hop off here? Probably one of my favorite quotes is from our one of our favorite data scientists, uh, Mr. Reutemann. Who uh, and I'll, I'll just read word for word what he what he said about this, which is one of the things no one talks about in security is that we use a decent scoring being a seven, eight, nine, or ten. Imagine if every time there was a twenty percent chance of snow, the forecast said ninety percent. That's effectively <laughs> what we're doing here, right? Security is basically saying everything is always bad, and it's just a degree of just how it's it's either bad or it's terrible, and there is nothing below that, right? So we we really need to kind of reset into reality, which is that that distribution, but that power law that basically says there's a very small number of these things that are really bad and really important, and that you definitely should take care of. But there's a large portion of these that probably don't matter nearly as much as we tend to think or at least talk about. Awesome. I mean, that helps right? set the uh, orient oneself around the overall distribution of risk, right? <laughs> um, well, thanks so much, Ed, for joining us. I do want to call out that uh, you can get ISC Squared CPE credits on the podcast now. So pretty cool that you can get some continuing education credits just for listening to this session. To do so, you need to go check out kennasecurity.com slash blog. You'll see the link to this podcast there and there's a form fill. So you put in your email address and your uh, IAC squared number and it'll get, uh, get you some extra credit there. So thanks so much, Ed, for joining us and look forward to uh, our next meeting. Take it easy. Thanks, man. Dan. Appreciate it.